such a rare one. We'll give you praise tonight. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Father of light, we are very grateful to you. Every moment of our lives is designed by you. You teleguide every move. You order every step. The Bible says you lead us in the path of life for your name's sake. The scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18, the path of the righteous is like a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. We honor you tonight and we lift up your name. Tonight as we have gathered together, we pray that your presence will fill this place. That your word will come to every one of us. And that every need will be met. I pray tonight, Lord, that you will give seed to the sower. And bread to the heater. And your name alone will be glorified. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. One more time, I want to welcome us and I want to congratulate the entire church and those who are now here. About a well, job, you know, well done job yesterday. We appreciate the Lord for all the efforts that went into the conference. It's a lot of efforts. It's a lot of work. I, I just want to say thank you to all of us for all that we have done. The Lord will reward you immensely. Even when I don't pray, it, he will. It says, I have not asked the house of Israel to seek me in vain. In other words, I will reward them regardless. So I want to appreciate all of you for all the things you've done to make yesterday a special day, not just for us as a people, but for the body of Christ. We have people from different denominations coming to be together yesterday, and we thank the Lord for all that you have done. Those of us women who did all the cooking and all the, all the feeding, appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you. Amen. Tonight, Tonight is like a capstone on some of the things the Lord began to do yesterday. I believe, like I've initially said from yesterday, this is the most significant generation. And why? I mentioned to us that the upsurge of technology shows that indeed we're in the last days. We have internet at our fingertips. And I mentioned to us we used to, while we were doing economics and sociology, we used to talk about the global village. But with the upsurge and the, you know, the, the new technology development, it shows that indeed we're in a global village. It only takes a knob and a few buttons for us to communicate with any part of the world. And we see the, the, the movement around the Middle East as a result of the social network you know, the Facebook and all of that. And that in itself shows us that something is happening in our generation. And like we have already read, that the Bible tells us that even after all is done, the, 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 the incoming of the Antichrist will be prepared by all of these things that we are seeing. And now we're beginning to see those things coming to pass right in our very before to let us know that the word of God is true. Again, I also observe that in our generation, the generation in which we're living in, this is a generation that saw the collapse and the extinction of communism, so to speak. 
uh, except for a few places and a few scattered places, we saw it was like for many of us who saw this in the early 80s and the late 70s, we understand that communism was a very strong hold for the whole world. That communism will collapse was something dramatic and it was a miracle. Because that opened the gospel, that opened the door for the gospel in many of those nations. We also saw that apart from communism, we also remember the Berlin War, which we couldn't believe that at such a time that the Berlin War had to be broken down, we couldn't believe it. Because I remember doing all of this, you know, in school, and it was like a stronghold. Yet, in our generation, we saw the collapse of all of this. That is to tell us something, that there may be something very unique about this generation. And what we can do as a people is to position ourselves so that we can become the very vessel that God will use to bring the gospel to so many untouched, unreached places around the world. How will that happen? That will happen when we begin to take responsibilities as believers. When we begin to take our place based on the revelation of the word of God that we have and based on the power of the spirit that we carry. I want us to know tonight that we are not in this world to just live and go by and die and be forgotten. God has given us a privilege. He has kept us alive because there is an assignment for you. The reason why you are still alive today is not because you have all the good health, the nutrition that you are that you're eating. Or the, all the exercises. Those things are good. They are wonderful. They are recommended. But the truth about the matter is, behind the scene, God has kept you alive for such a time like this that the kingdom of God may be built, that the glory of God may be seen in the land. That's why he has kept you alive. I believe that so strongly in my spirit. I remember some time ago I was reading a material by John Maxwell. He said, we are not to test waters. Rather, we are to cause waves around the world. In other words, we are not just to begin to test waters. We are supposed to be making waves. In other words, God wants us to be in the thick of things when it comes to spiritual issues. And so tonight I'm speaking to us on what I call the power to make a difference. The power to make a difference. In the book of Zechariah, the scripture says, it is not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, we all understand the man of God, Zechariah, and all that the Lord did through him. But he said, in all of this, we need to understand it is not going to come by might. It is not going to come by power. It is not going to come by your intelligence. It is not going to come by what you think you know, by trying to figure it out with all the natural knowledge that we have. It will come by the Spirit of God. Jesus said in the book of John chapter 6 verse 63. He said, it is a spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. Hmm. It is the spirit that does what? That quickens. The flesh profits nothing. What's, what was Jesus saying? I want us to listen to me tonight. Jesus knew 
that everything he did was by the power of the Spirit. Don't forget his conception was by the Holy Spirit. And a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. That was his conception. In Luke chapter 1, in chapter 2, we saw how Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was born, the Bible tells us that even at the age of 12, he went to reason with the doctors of law. When they listened to Jesus, the people who listened said, isn't that a young boy? The parents had gone, they came back to Jerusalem because they came to worship. They came back and said, where is Jesus? When they found him. He was actually among the doctors of law. He was talking and, you know, and conversing with them. Why? Because of the level of wisdom that he possessed. And that was by the Spirit. In the book of Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says Jesus straight away, when he came to John the Baptist to be baptized by John, when John saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said, you know, I'm not supposed to baptize you. But John said, take it for Jesus said, no. You know, do it that all righteousness may be fulfilled. And Jesus came into the waters. The Bible says straight away, as he was coming out of the water, the heaven was opened upon him. And the Spirit of God descended upon him like a, like a dove. And the father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible says Jesus was led of the spirit to go into the wilderness. Of the spirit to go into the wilderness. And Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness praying and spending time with the Lord. I don't want to go into the details of the encounter that he had with Satan. But, Satan, but when he came back, the Bible says he came in the power of of the spirit in acts of the apostles chapter 10 verse 38 the bible says jesus you know i got and i got anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all them that were oppressed of the devil for god was with him by what how god anointed jesus by the holy ghost and with power so jesus when he said here the spirit quickens he knew what he was talking about what does that mean? I'm going to say it in a single statement. Jesus would not, did not do anything outside of the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did was by the Spirit. And Jesus made a specific difference in that generation. Of recent, I was studying the man of God. The name is Micah. We all remember one of the Old Testament prophets. His name is Micah. In Micah chapter 3, I was reading of recent and I was trying to study why was this scripture written? In Micah chapter 3 verse 8, the man of God said, Micah, he said, I am full of power by the spirit of God and of judgment and of might. He says, to declare unto Jacob his righteousness and to Israel his sin. Why did Micah say, I am full of power? Power by the Spirit of the Lord. Why did he have to say that? Micah was used of God to bring the word to the a nation that had departed from God. Israel was already living in apostasy. 
And God needed a man with a voice from heaven to proclaim to Israel the mind of God. And Micah said, there have been prophets ahead of me. I saw this in verse 11. He said, there have been priests, there have been judges. But let's listen to what he said. Why did he say what he said in verse 8? The Bible says in verse 11, there were those who judged, but they judged for a word. In other words, they judged because of what they were going to gain. He said there were prophets, there were priests who taught the people for, as if they were hired by men. How many of us remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? John, Jesus was describing the fact that he was the good shepherd. Do we remember that? He said, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm the door of the sheep. But in that same chapter, Jesus said, I am not a hireling. A hireling is a man who is hired to take care of the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. A hireling, when the wolf comes, runs and abandons the sheep. And the sheep scatters because there is no one to take care of them. Now in this scripture, the Bible says, Michael said to the priest, you did what you did as if you've been hired. In other words, there was no commitment. There was no, there was no dedication to the people. The Bible says, he said also, the prophets among you, they did it for money, for what they were looking for. But he said, I am full of power by the Spirit of God. Everything that I do today, I do by the power of the Spirit. Incredible. I believe that what Micah was saying to us in that scripture is very simple. What he's saying to us is that if we allow the Spirit of God to take hold of us, the Spirit of God will guide us in accomplishing the divine purpose of God accurately and perfectly without any inhibition and without any ulterior motives. And so as a people of God, if we want to enjoy, if we want the Holy Spirit to use us specifically to accomplish a divine purpose, we must understand the flesh will seek to overrule us. Amen? The flesh will do what? Will seek to overrule us. You may have begun in the spirit. You may have good intentions. But the Bible is saying, if you don't continually connect to the Holy Spirit, the flesh will overrule. Whatever we do, the enemy will take advantage of it. The flesh will take advantage of it. We begin to do it to accomplish a purpose in the flesh. But God is saying, if you allow my spirit to take hold of you, I will use you to the maximum. I will use you to the fullest potential that you possess. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible speaks of the spirit of God hovering over the waters. I believe that the spirit of God was in active participation to see to the end of darkness, void, and shapelessness. In everything that we see that is shapeless, in everything that we see that there is a void, there's an emptiness, the only way for the emptiness, for the shapelessness to be taken care of, for the darkness to be taken care of, is when we allow the Spirit of God to have his way. And I believe that if we're going to make a specific difference in our generation, if we're going to touch the lives of people around the world, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to indwell us afresh, to indwell us in a new way, and to begin to use us in the way we have never been used before. 
God wants to do something new with our lives. I was studying about Saul. Many of us remember Saul in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Saul did not intend to be a king in Israel. Saul was a very innocent, young, naive man. He was looking for his father's ass that was lost. And he went with his father's servant. And they went around looking for the ass. But in the process of their search, the Bible tells us that at that moment, Israel was looking for a king. Why? Because they felt when Samuel dies, there will be no one to take over the role of a leader in the land. And they wanted a king by force. Now, I want to state this tonight. God knows better than all of us. God chose Samuel to be a prophet in Israel. God wanted his people to be led by himself. God chose Israel. And he wanted Israel to be led by him and him alone. And in the process of time, Israel felt they wanted to be like other nations. All the nations were led by their kings. And they said to God, Lord, give us a king. We really, really are obsessed with this. We want a king. God said, but I gave you a prophet. They said, we know, but Samuel is growing old. And his children are not following after his ways. We need a king. Everything that God did, they said, no, we want a king at all cost. Except to give us a king. And God says, is that what you want? I'll give it to you. No problem. I'll give it to you. Look, I want us to know that there's a will of God. But God also permits us to do what we want sometimes. There is a best of God. But sometimes if we want to untwist him, want to force his hand, he will let it go. Israel wanted a king at all costs. Nobody was asking what would the king do? You know what they said? We want a king that will lead us to wars like every other nation. I, don't, I want to ask us a question tonight. How, why would you love to go to a war when already you are at peace with a prophet? They just wanted the honor and the praise of other nations that they were a mighty nation who could win in a war. And God is saying, I'm your God. I'm your exceeding reward. You don't need another king. I am your king. How many of us know that God did not want to provide them a king because he was already a king to them? All he needed was somebody to proclaim his mind. Every battle that Israel fought in the days of Samuel, they never lost a single battle. Because before the battle came, God gave instructions ahead of time. God himself fought on behalf of the people. Many times, the nations that came against Israel did not know what was happening. They thought there was another chariot coming behind them. God fought for Israel. But Israel now said, we don't want that. We want a physical king. Anyway, Saul was chosen. God said to Samuel, there's a young man that, you're, that is coming to you to find out about the ass of his father. Anoint me king over Israel. My goal tonight is not whether it was the ultimate plan of God for God to choose Saul. But I want us to see what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Can we turn to it? 1 Samuel chapter 10, the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel 1, in chapter 10. Let's see what the Bible says here. 1 Samuel chapter, 1, uh, chapter 10. 
Are we ready? The Bible says in verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance, which you have departed from me today. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of the Benjamin at Zezer. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? And in verse 5, I want to read from verse 5. After you shall come to the hill of God, when the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen. When you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them. And they will be prophesying, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you <laughs> and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. The Bible says, when you meet the group of prophets, you will prophesy with them. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will be turned into another man. Another version of the Bible says, you will be changed into another man. You will be transformed into another man. In other words, the assignment ahead of you. I want us to understand this. He has just been anointed a king. But you see, to function as a king, it is not just enough for you to be huge and strong. Here we saw you need something extraordinary to be able to perform the assignment that has been given to you. You need something outside of yourself. You need a super upon your natural for you to be able to perform the divine assignment. Now, you need a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. The Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and Saul was changed into another man. Saul, after this time, was going to encounter an enemy. But he would not be able to accomplish that without the power of God. It is not enough to have the call of God. It is not enough for us to understand what God wants us to do. It is not enough for us to know that we have to make a difference. But it is important that we know that without the power of the Holy Spirit, all that we know, all that we have proposed to do, we will not be able to do adequately. And God wants us to come to that level. When we reach out to the Holy Spirit, we tap into the resources of heaven, and we begin to perform all that God wants us to do. Let me say this again to us tonight. From this scripture, it occurred to me, that the Holy Spirit is a change agent. The Holy Spirit is what? A change agent. He can transform any life. He can make any life useful. He can make it to become effective in whatever God has proposed and assigned you to do. There's another lovely scripture that I want us to read tonight. I want everybody to turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. In the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Are we there in 13? When Israel 
were on their way to Canaan. We all remember that the very first man that God used to bring them out of the land of Egypt was Moses, right? Moses was the leader of the people. And the Lord instructed them. Moses selected 12 men. They were heirs of Israel, the Bible says. In verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. In verse 3, So Moses sent from them, sent them from the wilderness to Piram, According to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heirs of the children of Israel. Now, these were heirs of Israel. These were people who were already in charge or in the position of leadership in every tribe in Israel. And the Bible says, Moses selected 12 men. Told them to go to the land of Canaan and spy out the land. To spy out the land we know what it means. To spy out the land is to investigate, to know the dimension of the land, to know what is available and what is not available. To spy out the land is to see what is operating in the land. Look at the texture of the land. Take a look at it. Look at the length and the breadth of the land. Now, there was no place in the instruction that was given to them by God for them to check out the people that were there. Do you know what I'm talking about? God did not ask these people Go and see if you will be able to overcome them. There was no place here. I'm going to read it down. I want us to listen to this. It says in verse 4. Now these were the names. Uh, I'm going to come back to that. In verse 16 it says, These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshia the son of Nun, which is Joshua. We know Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. And see what the land is like. Do we see the command? See what it looks like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor. Whether there is a forest or not. Be of good courage. Just check the land out and come back. Right? Check the land and come back. Tell us what you see in the land. That's what instruction they were given. I want us to pay attention here. That when the people came back, among those who were selected were two men, Joshua and Caleb. Now the rest of the herders of Israel went with them. There were 12 of them. Caleb and, jo and, 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 and Joshua were the 11th and the 12th. And they went to spy out the land. But this is what happened. I believe that in the election of Caleb was like the election of everybody. Everybody was chosen. So there wasn't any specific qualities other than the fact that they were heirs of Israel. Okay? But when they went to the land, the Bible tells us in verse 29. I want us to go to 29. Now, in verse 29, the Bible says, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, let, I want to go up a little bit more. I want to go up a little bit more. I'm going to go to verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. I'm reading verse 26. At Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation 
and show them the fruit of the land. That was a good one, right? They showed them the fruit of the land. In verse 27, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Good. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very like. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of, the, of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Everybody told them what happened. We saw the giants. We saw the sons of Anax. We saw the fruits. They were beautiful. We saw it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. We saw it. Now everybody agreed with that. He said they described it, the generations that were there. But while they were talking, Caleb observed beyond bringing a report they were selling fear to the people. They were selling something that they were not told to find. Caleb quickly jumped out and said, we saw the land. Wonderful land. But we are well able to overcome it. What made this man to say what he was saying? What was so unique about Caleb? Why did he say what he said? Why did he say it? He said, I understand all that these people have said. But we're well able. Let me read the next verse. You will understand why he said what he said in verse 31. In verse 31, the Bible says, But the men who had gone with him said, We're not able. Do we see the difference? He said, We're able in 30. In 31, they said, He's lying. We're not well able to do it. To go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Then they went further. Then they gave the children of Israel. I want us to watch what is in verse 32. Are we paying attention? 32. It says, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that divorces its inhabitants. That's a lie. That's what the Bible says. It's a bad report. It says, and all the people with whom we saw a man of great stature. You already told us they were strong men. That's all we heard. That's all we need to hear. He said they were of great stature. In verse 33. Then we saw the giants. What are you talking about? They were men of great stature. Then we saw the giant. The descendants of Anak from the giant. Uh, you know, who came from the giant. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, this is the key issue. They were sent to look at the land. They came back from the land. They reported to the people what they saw. While they were talking, there was something about Caleb. He said, I understand what you have seen, but God has promised us this land. We are well able to do it. Now, I want to say this to you tonight. I don't know what God has promised you. God will not promise you what you're not able to do. Did you hear what I just said? If we not promise what he has not equipped you to do. God will not promise what he has not given you the power and the capacity to do. 
The Bible says we understand what is going on, but we're well able to overcome, to overcome that land. You know what the other people said? They now started to bring bad reports. In other words, the reports they did not offer before, they began to embellish what they saw. We were like grasshoppers before them. Who told you? In our own sight. Not to those people, but in our own eyes. And we noticed that the land was a land that devoured its own people. Where did they gather? It was not part of the report. They added that to it. Now, but what was so unique about Caleb? Why did Caleb come up with a good report? How is it that in the midst of 12 men, Caleb could stand by himself and said, I understand what we saw, but what I saw is not what you saw. I wrote down here, I said, this is my own interpretation. I said, Caleb said to them, shh, that's what he said. Don't say it. What I saw, this is what I saw. We can do it. As a matter of fact, God promised us the land. And that God is not dead yet. He's still alive. He will bring us there. Regardless of what we saw. How is it that this man was able to say what he said? In, in chapter 14, I want us to see what happened in 14. Of that same chapter. Of, the, of another chapter after that. In chapter 14 of verse 6, this is what happened. The Bible says, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the same Caleb, were where among those who spied the land tore their clothes. When the people heard the bad report, they shouted and they were amazed and they were fearful. And the Bible said, Caleb tore his clothes. You know what the meaning, the meaning of that? He said, it started to mourn. You know what it was mourning for? It was mourning for the people who had been promised by God but could not believe what God has said. He said, I'm going to tear my clothes. I would rather expose myself because I've come to this level. What God has said to us is more important than my honor. I would tear this. For you to know that God can do it. He tore his garment. That the Israel may see that indeed there was a promised land and God has empowered them to accomplish it. Now, the old story that I'm talking about this night surrounds something. How is it that Caleb was able to bring the report that he brought against what the ten men said? How is it? What was so special about Caleb? In chapter 14, verse 24, let's read what's so special. This is what the Lord said about Caleb. The Bible says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. So what was the unique thing about Caleb? Caleb had a different spirit. Why did the scripture say a different spirit? I believe that Caleb possessed a spirit outside of his spirit man. There was the spirit of God in Caleb. That did not allow Caleb to look at the difficulty and the problem. And be hindered by the problem. He did not see the obstruction and the, and the giants. He said, I saw beyond the giants. Because I can see the God of heaven. Who is able to bring down the giants. Who is able to overcome the giants. Who is able to bring us to the land for us to overcome the land. And to possess the land. He possessed another spirit. 
What it means tonight is this. If we will make a difference in our generation, we need to be a people who possess a different spirit. What's a different spirit? It's not the spirit that every other person possesses. It's not a common spirit. It is called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When the power of God is resident in your life, you will see what others call problems. You will see it as opportunities. Hallelujah. When others call impossible, you will see it as a doorway to the glory of God. When the power of God is upon you, what men call impossible, you will see it being possible. I read the story about John G. Lake. He went to South Africa with other missionaries. John G. Lake was in South Africa and there was, there was a particular plague that broke, that broke out. People were dying. And while people were dying, the missionaries had been commissioned to go to the land to preach the gospel. Now, the people who were, who were, who were sick were kept in a particular place. And John G. Lake was informed and he said, I'm going there. And the other people looked at him and said, where do you say you're going? No man goes there and come back alive. Because it was a disease, it was a plague. Everyone who went there died. John G. Lake said, I'm leaving. God has spoken to me. The God who has spoken to me will take me there and he will bring me back alive. G. Lake went in there. Those who were at the brink of death, he began to preach the gospel to them. He began to share Jesus with them. Men in their numbers at the brink of death were coming to the knowledge of Christ. Truly they died physically. But you know what happened? They went, they, there was an exit from this world, but there was an entry into heaven. Instead of dying and losing all together, they died physically, like Paul said, you know, but they went into the spirit. They went into the heavens. They went ahead from their, from their, from their natural body into the kingdom of God. They were giving their lives to the Lord and God dramatically transformed their life. The end of the story is this. John G. Lake came back alive. He did not die because of the plague. God preserved him. The power of God sustained him. In the midst of the difficulty, God sustained him. What I'm saying tonight is this. What all the scores, impossible. By the power of God, you call possible. All of us remember, I've told us the story about Smith. We go to what he had before in church. He was a man that was a man of one book. I said it yesterday. New Testament was what Smith Wigglesworth read all his life. And one day, as anointed as this man was, his wife was an evangelist. We went into the mission field to preach the gospel. While, while Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber, he was just fixing stuff at home. But he was, he was already baptized by the Holy Spirit. And he was also in ministry himself. One day they told him that the wife died in the process of preaching the gospel in the field. And they brought the wife back home. And Spintuguso said, well, she died? Okay, put her in the room. And Spintuguso went into the room and said, woman, open your eyes. Guess what happened? She opened her eyes. She was dead. And according to the story, he conversed with her for a long time. And then the woman said to her, I mean, said to him and said, let me go. It's my time. Let me just go home. It's time for me to rest. And then he said, now you can go home now. I think I'm satisfied. You can go now. That's the realm God wants you to live in. The realm of dominion. Where God, by his spirit, can begin to work in your life. The most dramatic story about me, was what one of his ministries, there was a man around his area. One man never accepted the gospel. Smith tried over and over again to minister to this man. This man said, well, I'm done with you. I don't have anything to do with religion. Good enough. The man died. And then they sent a message to Smith and said, 
The man you used to talk to had died. Oh, Smith said, really? He died? Now it's time for me to talk to him. So Smith went to the house. People were wailing and mourning. And he said to all of them, can you give me some space? He said to the man, and they, you know, they were already put him in a casket and said, man, open your eyes. And the man opened his eyes. He said, all your life, I told you about Jesus. You never listened to me. Will you listen to me now? <laughs> the man said, yes, I'll listen to you now. The man said, he said, now I want to give your life to Jesus. He died for you. You can't afford to go to hell. I've been praying for you for all of these years. You must give your life now. The man said, I'm ready. In the casket. The man gave his life. Now before, before he left this place, he said to everybody morning and crying, he said, will you also do the same? Everybody knelt down. They said, we'll give our lives to, to Christ. Everybody knelt down. And he prayed for all of them. And they gave their lives to Christ right there. Now, the man lived many years after that, before he died. What am I saying tonight? When the power of God and the Spirit will come, us up, come upon us, we will make a difference. Something new will begin with our lives. You know what I found out? You never know what God can do with you. If you yield yourself to him, if you release yourself to the Holy Spirit, God will do wonders with your life. Uh, while I was waiting for this meeting, I noticed that we give excuses many times and say, God, you know why? You know what I noticed? God wants us to refute and refuse excuses and tell him, Lord, I'm ready. Just use me anyhow. I'm ready, Lord. Use me. It does not matter our gender, our age. God has used the young and the old. He has used the male and the female. God has used the poor and the rich. It does not matter who you are. God will use you anyway. God wants us to make a difference in our generation. You know, the way we're going to make a difference will be different. As I was studying the scriptures, I noticed there are men that we don't even consider much. But God used them. How many of us know the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes there was a man who was poor. But by his wisdom, saved a city. Do we remember that man? Poor, but by his wisdom, saved a city. Poor naturally. But there was something that he had. What he had, he used it to make a difference in his own time. He didn't have money, but he's got the sense. He's got the wisdom. I remember the nephew of Paul the Apostle. Do we remember there was a time some group of men, the Bible calls them sons of Belia, they gathered themselves together and they said, we will fast and we will wait until we see Paul died. In the book of Acts of the Apostle. But you know what happened? While they were talking to themselves, there was a little boy that overheard what they were saying. You know what he did? He went straight to Paul and said, this is exactly what he said. What am I saying tonight? Do you know, how is it that the life of a young boy was mentioned in the scriptures? Just because there was one experience in his life and he took advantage of it. Now a man, it was after this time that Paul was able to write many of the epistles. What if Paul had been killed? What if he'd been killed? That's why making a difference is not in big things. It could be in the fact that you can be an, you know, a man at the right place and at the right time doing the right thing. He was at the right place. Doing the right thing, and God used that information to preserve the life of his servant. Who knows what God will use you to do? But we need to understand tonight, without the Spirit of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to do much. The last scripture I'm going to share with us tonight is in Isaiah chapter 33, 32, 32. Isaiah 32. The book of Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32. Isaiah chapter 32. I'm going to read just one verse in Isaiah 32. Just one. 
And that's why we're going to pray tonight. If you have another version other than King James Bible, I'd like us to read it too. If you do have another version other than King James, I'd like us to read. Isaiah chapter 32 in verse 15 reads, Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Interesting. It says, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. <laughs> it says, the wilderness. I don't know how many of us have King James. King James who says, and the wilderness will become a fruitful field. And the fruitful field will become a forest. What does this mean? It says a wilderness. Wilderness is a dry place. A wilderness is a place of nothing. A wilderness is a lonely place. A wilderness is a place where there is, there is barrenness. It's a place where there is, there, nothing is going on. There is a subtle nothing in the wilderness. But the Bible says when the spirit comes upon us from on high, then the wilderness will become a fruitful field. What does that mean? I believe that every empty and harried land will blossom and will become fruitful and productive when the Spirit of God come upon them. Every life that's like a wilderness can become a fruitful field. Every life that has become an harried land can become a fruitful field. And that is what the Lord wants to do when the power of God comes upon our lives. We've seen that in the ministry of Jesus. Those who were nothing, men like Peter, who were absolutely nothing, in one day, by the power of the Spirit that happened in the book of Acts of the Apostles chapter 2, they became instruments with which God turned the nations around. Do we remember that the same man who was afraid, who was timid, stood on the day of Pentecost and shared the gospel and 3,000 men came to the knowledge of God. Why? Because of the power of the Spirit. One day, a man who was caught barren, who was empty. So if we're saying, what do I have to give? Maybe what we need now is the power of God. When the power of God comes upon your life, what you have not been able to do before, you'll be able to do much more than that. The Bible says, and the fruitful field, I love this. Now, a fruitful field, I believe, is a person who says, you know what? I have enough. I'm comfortable. I'm successful. I'm satisfied. But God is saying, even when you're comfortable, satisfied, I still want a transition in your life. I want to bring you to a place where you have more than enough. 
You're not just have enough, you have more than enough. God is saying, even when you think you have got your best yet. No, I want to bring you to the place of significance. It is not enough to be successful. I want to bring you to what? To the place of significance. And you cannot come to the place of significance because you will have to cross another line. Another line that you will cross will come by the power of the Spirit. Now, how many of us know that God has privileged us? But some of us feel, well, I think I have some now. Even in the midst of your psalm, God says, I want to add more to you. I want to increase you. I want to multiply you. You have been a captain of two. I want to make you a captain of ten. You've been a captain of ten. I want to make you a captain of fifty. You have been a captain of fifty. I want to make you a captain of hundred. But all of this cannot be done without the power of the Spirit. Until the Spirit be powerful on I, then the wilderness will become a fruitful field. And a fruitful field will become a forest. God wants to make you a forest. You know what a forest is? All of us know what a forest is. When you get to the forest, you find everything you need. You find herbs, you find trees, you find fruits. Everything is found in the forest. In other words, you become more than enough. Your life becomes a significance. Every forest is making a difference anywhere today in the world. God is saying it is not enough for you to be successful. You need to get to significance. And that will happen if you allow my spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit will take hold of you. I will turn your life around like I did to Saul. I will make you a different person. You will go from little to much. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about being effective, touching people's lives. You've been touching only two and only three. I will make you to touch hundreds. I will do it in your life when you give yourself over to me. Hallelujah. Let's rise up to pray tonight. We're going to pray. Let's rise up to pray. Hallelujah. I was reading this week, and one of the things I read, a man said, he said the purpose of life is not to be happy, but to matter. To be productive, to be useful, to make some difference that you have lived at all. I want us to pray tonight. It's okay for God to make you happy. But there's more to that. You need to matter. In other words, you need to touch other people's lives. Mother Teresa left a comfort of living in the West. And went to India. And touched so many people's lives. Those who many of us would not afford to talk to. Many of them were leprous. She will, went, she will go to them. She will wipe the leprosy. This is what she said. She said, if you can't feed, if you can't feed 100 people, feed just one. If you can't do 100, no problem. Feed just one. He said, if all of us will feed just one, you will never know when we reach the whole world. If you can just feed one, you never know how many you will have been able to touch. I want us to pray tonight. And say, Lord, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit afresh. I receive a new infilling tonight. If you've been baptized, that's fine. I receive a fresh infilling tonight. The Lord, I want to I take a transition to another level. 
I want to touch other people's lives. I want to make a difference. Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. The Bible says of Jesus in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the dead. That's what God wants you and me to do. He wants us to touch other people's lives. Can we just pray tonight and say, Lord, touch me. Touch me afresh tonight, Holy Spirit. Do something new in my life, oh God. I don't just want to be a hearer of the word. I don't want to just keep talking about other people. I want to experience your power, your glory. I want you to empower me tonight. Let your spirit come upon my life tonight. In the name of Jesus. Lord, in the name of Jesus, begin to touch my life tonight. Lord, I want you to touch me in a very unique way. That I may become effective, useful vessel in your hand. Life is short. We only have today. Today, just today. To do what we can do. Nobody knows what tomorrow holds. But what we know is that what we have today, let's take advantage of it. Opportunities are not going to be there forever. We have the opportunity today. Let's do what is right. Let's do what we know that we have incurred and proposed by God to do. Who knows how many people your life will touch. This one life, let it be useful to God. One man said, I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now. And not defy, not neglect it. As I shall not pass this way again, I won't pass this place again. Let me do it now. Spirit of the living God, I just pray tonight. There will be an empowerment to everybody in this place. For us to effect a change in other people's lives. Thank you Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Father, we are very grateful to you tonight. We know that life will count when we begin to touch others. Our lives will count for time and for eternity. We're not going to be here forever. Lord, we know we have this opportunity. One shot at life. We receive grace today. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. After we leave this place tonight, Lord, give us everything that it takes to touch other people's lives. Lord, that we may touch our communities for your name. That we may be part of what you're doing in the kingdom in this season. Spirit of the living God begin to walk in us. We want to say like Caleb, we are well able to do it. There are nations to take the gospel. There are people to talk to you about the Lord Jesus. We are well able to do it. Lord, we receive grace tonight. Lord, we receive grace tonight. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Thank you, Lord. As a church, as an assembly, Pray, Lord, that you will mobilize us. Lord, this world needs us. The environment in which we are located needs us. 
Lord, use us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. And the church said, Amen.